0: In the book of Acts, Luke continues his history of the early church. He gave us the gospel of Luke, tells us of the life of Jesus, and then he told us of how his first disciples were turned from cowards to sacrificially, indescribably bold witnesses. And the same machinery that had killed Jesus was threatening Peter and John, and here's what they told them. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Listen. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, may people be able to tell that regardless of our intelligence, education, stature in this world, may everyone who examines our life be able to tell that we have been with you. There is no one else like you. You're not one path, you're not one way, you're not one teacher. You are the one who died for sin and rose from the grave to conquer the final enemy which threatens us all, death, to show that your sacrifice had been sufficient and accepted and we could be forgiven and enjoy eternal life. So help us to hear you, love you, follow you, whatever the cost. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Good morning. We had a pretty amazing time last night. We had well over 200 people here for our, our little banquet that we gave to, we call volunteers, your ministers really. Over 200 people were here to just to hear from guys like me, people on the church staff, how much we appreciate all of you who serve week in, week out in so many different ways. We played the family feud, which was amazing. We do that. We've got a little set and everything, and it was just absolutely wonderful to enjoy a meal with you. If you're not serving in this church, let me assure you from a lifetime of personal experience, you grow best when you are trying to serve others. It is a common lie and misconception that the best way to grow in the grace of Jesus is to go sit somewhere and soak it all in. It's not the way it works. Not in life, not in anything, not in the faith. People grow best, love best, by putting others ahead of themselves and obeying the great commandments. So, if you're not serving already, if you're new to this church family, take all the time that you need. We're not actually recruiting. This isn't a high-pressure sales pitch. It's not, well, maybe from some staff members, not from me. Um, we have put the pressure on pretty hard sometimes, I suppose, if I'm very honest. But what it is, is an invitation. If God has called you into this church family, and you have Jesus as your Savior, and Jesus as the head of the body, and He has placed you in this body, He has a place for you. If you're part of this church family, that biblically tells me two things immediately. You have needs that the body will have to serve so that we can do our part before God by you. And you also have talents, gifts, resources, money, experiences, scars and stars that God has orchestrated in your life so that you can be of useful, loving, godly service to other people. You won't serve them all, nobody does but you will serve a few, and you will be served by a few, and together you will grow, and you will experience what we're seeing here on practically a weekly basis. We're seeing people grow from spiritual immaturity to genuine spiritual maturity, and here's the mark. They're not self-centered. Have you noticed that that's the characteristic of small children? They're all about themselves. They can't Filter the world in any way that does not begin and end with themselves. We parent them, we love them, we correct them, we reward them, we do everything in our power as parents to grow them out of that. The church family is no different. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, you will grow in it by keeping the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said the second commandment is like it. What is it? Love others, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that only and always happens through conscious, voluntary service as a commitment, not as a matter of convenience. So, what does this have to do with the sermon? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you, that's actually how it works. That's why we have these ministry teams. They vary very extensively. The people who form them, the tasks that they do, so much of the ministry of this church is unnoticed. It's silent, but it's real, and it's making a daily difference in the lives of the group of people that it serves. So thank you. If you're here for the first time, the chatty guy up front, my name is Bruce Garner. And I might be treading water a little bit verbally, not only to thank the volunteers and to encourage all of you to, in God's timing, take your place in the body and get to serving, because I'm a little, frankly, I'm a little apprehensive about this passage. I am. It makes me nervous, it puts me on edge because it's severe, it's heavy. The tension you're going to feel in this passage as we read through it is this question Does the Lord have a right to be angry? What do you think? Anger's a funny thing. Anger, the way most of us experience it, is almost always self seeking and destructive. It's hard to be righteously angry. The Bible acknowledges that anger is not sin. It says, be angry and do not sin. Trouble is, it's so easy to sin when you're angry. You can, be, you can sin in several ways regarding angry. You can be angry for the wrong things. Ask anybody who's ever got a ticket. <laughs> the poor man, the poor woman pulling them over is invariably some kind of Idiot. Some tool of the state designed to oppress common hardworking people who were only speeding because of necessity. And besides, many other people, more evil than they, were speeding much faster. Say, so that's really specific. I've had that very conversation with law enforcement officers, <laughs> found them indifferent. One said, You're right, but right now I'm talking to you. I went looking for a pen uh, because I knew that was over. He was right, I was wrong, and there it is. You You can sin and anger in a lot of ways. You can be angry for the wrong things. You can express it in the wrong way. You can be disproportionate. You can plead ignorance. But the more you know about something, the more wrong you know something is, you know immediately how severe the consequence is going to be. Speaking of traffic tickets, my pastor, my predecessor at this church, years ago, told a story when he was pastoring in Colorado, he got pulled over late at night, driving like a complete maniac. And it was just him and the state trooper, and he did something that pastors sometimes do. He thought he would work into the conversation that he was a pastor. <laughs> Worth a shot. I mean, it's going to be bad either way. Might as well try it. And the trooper said, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm your brother in Christ. Well, Enormous relief, right? Had a little church meeting on the side of the road. Troop was mysteriously absent from some time, came back with the ticket, handed it to my pastor and said, preacher, next Sunday tell your people sin doesn't pay. (laughs) See, because it can work that way. When you plead a special relationship, when you plead a special character, they can always turn it back on you and say to you, then you, of all people, should know better. But you're going to feel tension in this passage. You're going to ask yourself as you hear Jesus speaking, Does he have a right to say this? Does he, the Lord, have the right to be angry? And does he have a right to express his anger in the way that he assures us that he will? You see, there is so much to say about Jesus. And people are selective with Jesus. Many people, even church people, worship not A Lord they fully understand and are willing to come to grips with, but a caricature of Jesus made in their own image. I'm telling you, I'm apprehensive about this passage, and this is one of the rewards you get when you preach straight through the book of the Bible. You don't get to cherry pick the comfortable parts. Last Sunday, we heard Jesus speaking to his disciples in some of the most loving and reassuring ways in all of Scripture. He told them to look at the flowers in the field and the birds in the air and consider that their heavenly Father put a much greater value on their lives than on these simple creatures and that He would surely provide for them. And what they had to do instead was to seek the kingdom of God and to give generously, to sell something if they needed money in order to give to the poor because they would be greatly rewarded in heaven. And you love to hear Jesus speaking in that way. It's absolutely comforting to hear Him speak to you in that way. That's why the next few words are so surprising because they're severe. He has been fighting in all of Luke chapter 12 for the hearts of the people who are listening to Him, both the disciples and the crowds. He's been warning them that money is a terrible master that gets a hold of people's hearts and commands their allegiance, their affection, and their excitement like nothing else on earth. That's why Jesus said in another gospel that no man can serve two masters. And he was referring to wealth or God. You can only serve one at a time, and you will choose day by day whether you will serve money and success and resources and physical comfort or the Lord your God. And as he keeps teaching, the very next few verses show genuine, genuine severity. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, you'll see what I mean. Luke chapter 12. And we'll read from verse 30 just so you see the connection between the comfort he's been offering and the severity of the judgment He's about to announce. Luke 12, verse 30. All the nations of the world seek after these things. In other words, after material provision, after food and clothing. Here's His word of comfort. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you hear that? Your heart always follows your money. And then the Lord, because He's going to expose the fight that is in people's hearts for the allegiance of whether they will serve money in themselves or trust God that he will provide and put his kingdom, his purposes first, he's going to begin to teach them something frightening. And again, the tension you're going to feel is this. Does the Lord actually have the right to be angry and to promise judgment the way he does? Verse 35 Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Look very carefully at verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. A friend of mine who has one of those high-speed jobs says this, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's a connection between all this comfort and what follows now. There's a war on for people's hearts. Anxiety, worry, fear that there will not be enough, that the best thing to do with money is to pile it up as high as you can. That pulls desperately as people's hearts. It always has. We've just perfected it here in coastal Orange County. Truly. We're an anomaly in everything. Every since we've never been as a group of people in the united states particularly on the coast never has anyone been so blessed so safe so protected and yet in many cases felt so anxious about material things and jesus says here's what always happens with money wherever your treasure is there your heart will be also Your heart always follows your money, and then he says the very next verse, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning because there was no electricity in these days, and men wore flowing robes. So, he's literally saying is, stay belted up, get ready to jump up and get after it. Keep your robes tucked in your belt, keep a torch in your hand, because it's time for action. A couple weeks ago, I had an amazing experience. I was having breakfast with a lifelong first responder, and I got to see him swing into action. I was talking, we'd been talking for about an hour, and suddenly something behind me started going on that I couldn't see. A medical emergency occurred right behind me because someone fell over. And right in the middle of my sentence, he said, stand by, and jumped up and went, in and went and took care of it. And I thought, now that's a lifetime of training and service right there. Not just a second. Stand by. Okay. Well, let's go. And it, it, was, it was genuinely a beautiful thing to see, to see people rally. He was there first because he's been ready and been doing that sort of thing for a lifetime. That's the intensity that Jesus is urging on his disciples in this very next verse, verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Jesus is coming back. That is a biblical fact. It is as certain as his birth was in history. It is undertaught and underappreciated, but he has promised, just as he came, that he will return, and his word to his disciples is be ready. Be like servants whose boss is coming home. He may come in the middle of the night so you be ready to go to the door and open for him and provide him light into his own home so that whenever he comes, even if it's in the middle of the night, after a long time of feasting at a wedding banquet, he will find you ready. And Jesus says the disciples that God finds in that condition will be blessed. Jesus is coming back. Stay ready. And there's an immediate temptation in Christ, even among Christian circles who believe not only in the birth but in the return of Jesus to push the truth of his return off into some distant future that we do not have to be concerned about because it has been, from our perspective, delayed. Here's what Peter, one of his first disciples, said about that. Read this with me. It says, "...the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise." As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why has the Lord not returned? Because of his great mercy and his patience. Because he knows when judgment begins, that's it. When he decides in his sovereign will to judge the people he made, there will be no further opportunity for repentance. And God, it says, is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, literally in Greek, that everyone should make a U-turn, that everyone should turn around, turn from themselves, turn from their sin, and come back to him. Come back to Him. Come to salvation. Come to the family of God. Receive forgiveness. Receive the cleansing of their sins. Experience His love and His provision that puts such a high value on them that the same generous God who makes the lilies in the field look beautiful, of course He's going to take care of you. But the temptation is to be sleepy, to be anxious and distracted, to not be ready Luke 12, verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly I say to you, watch this, it's one of the most surprising verses in the entire Bible, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. You understand the word picture that Jesus is using? Here's one of the difficulties in reading the Bible. It's a historical document written by actual human beings, not by conjurers and mystics and people who were making it up. No, it was written by people who were willing to die for its contents. In other words, the same men who wrote it, both John and Peter, suffered severely. Most of them were murdered rather than take their story back about Jesus. That was often the choice that for the first Christians were given take the story back and we'll let you live no you'll have to kill us instead we know what we have seen and believed we know him we saw him we saw him back from the dead it's the only thing that matters it literally changes everything so here's what we'd rather you do we'd rather you kill us We don't want death. We don't prefer death. But if it's between denying him and dying, I guess he'll have to kill us. And they did by the many thousands in the most brutal ways possible. So Jesus is telling people who are making up their mind about him the disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders they're all around Jesus. And he's saying, That judgment will come. I will return. You be ready. And he uses these images from their world of servants and masters drawn from their life, not ours. That's why we have to transfer those images into the principle that is behind them because we don't live in days of servitude and masters. Jesus is saying, I'm like the master of a house who owns everything, who has left people who are apparently serving him in charge. Some will be ready. They'll stay belted up, they'll keep their torch in their hand, and they will be ready to welcome me when I return. And when that happens, here's the shocking part of this verse. Again, maybe the most amazing thing in the New Testament aside from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. Who's getting dressed for service? The master is. He's taking the attitude of a servant. And have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Are you getting what this is saying? If you're faithful to the Lord when he returns... It almost sounds blasphemous to say it, but these are his words... He will serve and reward you. That's amazing. That doesn't happen anywhere. You imagine going to a state dinner and having all the dignitaries who have put the thing together tell the help to sit down, trade finery and jewelry with them, put on those black shirts and Black pants that are so characteristic of servers who just want to blend in. That's why they wear black generally. They don't want to be the center of attention. They all want to look alike. They're not particularly important. Everybody mistreats them. If you've ever worked in those jobs, I have. You know how it goes. In Jesus' word picture, the Lord, the Lord is coming back and if He finds faithfulness and readiness and eagerness to serve, when He returns, He will trade places and He will serve them. He will sit them down at the table and say, enjoy, look what I've prepared for you. That's how deep the love of Christ is for those He saves. The same Jesus who saved you will also serve and reward you. And it's almost Impossible to believe, but there it is right there in Scripture. The reward that the Lord has promised to those He saved, He will reward your faithfulness more extravagantly than you can begin to imagine. He is the Master, but He will welcome and reward and bless forever those whom He saved who were faithful to Him. Absolutely incredible. No wonder it says at another place in the Bible that no one has seen, heard, or imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. It's going to be better than you can imagine. I'm, at this point, a little bit shocked of how often people ask me, am I going to be bored in heaven? And I would say to you, respectfully, with great love, are you out of your mind? No. No. Everything you've not liked about this earth will be removed. The world that God intended, the new heavens and the new earth, promised at the very back of the book in the last few chapters of Revelation, will be full without the veil of sin and selfishness and doubt and anxiety and hatred and self-seeking that tears all of our families and strains all of our friendships. That'll be gone and you will be served by the Lord of glory because Jesus himself said it in a more familiar, well-known part of the Bible. He was going back to prepare a place for you so that where I am, what did he say? There you may be also. Just absolutely incredible. He will reward your faithfulness more extravagantly than you can begin to imagine and that anybody, especially someone like me, could ever possibly tell you. And that's why he says, don't Don't settle. Don't be foolish and use your money on earthly things. Don't be foolish and use your one wild, precious, God-given life and give it entirely to earthly pursuits that won't matter one moment after you draw your last breath. See, in the 21st century, the real... Temptation, at least for believers, is not that we will spend our lives on evil things, but that we will waste our lives on things that we ultimately discovered did not matter. And what a shame that will be. But that's not all he said. And if he had stopped there, I would not be apprehensive, and I would not have been so prayerful this morning about this passage. Look in verse 38. If he comes in the second watch, or in the third, in other words, if he comes in the middle of the night or near to dawn, by their timekeeping, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Different word picture, same idea, readiness. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is referring to himself by calling himself the Son of Man by a messianic title found in the book of Daniel in your Bible written some 700 years earlier. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord... Are you telling this parable for us or for all? I love Peter. This is pretty pointed, plain stuff. Are you just talking to us or all these people? Love Peter. He often asked the question that I would have wanted to ask. I probably just wouldn't have had the courage. Who does this apply to? You're telling us to be ready. You're telling us to watch out. You're telling us that you're returning. You're just talking to the inner core. You're talking to everybody. And the Lord said, "'Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes.'" Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And I think here Jesus is speaking specifically to Peter and specifically to all of you who serve and lead others. Those of you who have been given a position of trust and authority to lead anybody else, You're a manager, you dole out food, you provide care, you direct other people. If you are faithful in that, you will be greatly rewarded. In fact, the promises of reward only get bigger and better. Verse 44, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. In other words, God's a good manager. If they trust you with the keys to the filing cabinet, they may someday trust you with keys to the whole building. If they ask you to get the coffee and you didn't get the order right, spent half the money and brought them no change, you're never going to get the keys to anything. God's a good manager. As He doles out responsibility, He rewards faithfulness. Clear so far? And Peter, as chief among the apostles, the most outspoken, a foundational man, who will eventually himself be crucified rather than deny his Lord, is being plainly told in response to his question, Peter, you have a great opportunity set ahead of you, and so does anybody whom the Lord has saved. The more faithful you are with what he has given you, the more vigilant, the more ready to serve, the more you stay ready and don't have to get ready and are mindful about the Lord's business to love him and to love and serve others the more you will be rewarded. God is a good and faithful manager. He's not like some of the jobs you've had that were corrupted by politics, nepotism, and who knows what else, where good people get ignored and incompetent people get promoted. Anybody ever had a job like that? Of course you have. Everyone in the world has had a job like that. Lord's not that boss. He is offering to those who are faithful more rewards, more opportunity, more blessing in the new heaven and the new earth than they can possibly begin to imagine, but that's not all he said. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Whoa. You see why I was anxious? That took a turn, didn't it? Here's why. The Lord, the judge of all the earth, who made mankind in his own image and sees it daily, torn and burdened with so much evil, has promised one day to return and set things right. And his judgment will be more severe than anyone wants to believe. And at that exact point, you may say to yourself wrongfully, I say this with love, foolishly, God has no right to judge, and you're wrong. You know who bears the greatest burdens in this world, humanly speaking? Those who know the depths of its evil. Talk to first responders. Talk to people who have been in combat. Talk to people who work the graveyard shift in any emergency room. Talk to anyone who is in contact daily with children, like school teachers. It's not the same as an ER, but school teachers become aware, like ER technicians, like police officers and firefighters that there is evil in this world that is so horrifying that they have sometimes a hard time sleeping knowing that such, a, such people exist in the world that are willing to do those sorts of things to children. And God knows all of it daily. Let me personalize it. Many times, if I'm honest... I have been encouraged, rewarded, sometimes applauded as a pastor for doing good things. But God alone knows the time that my heart has turned and said, that's right. You're welcome. Wasn't that a nice thing? You're right. That was a nice thing. I hope you appreciate how loving that was. Have you ever felt that in your own heart? And that's common. That's trivial. That's every human heart. God sees that quiet self seeking all the way to the worst things that people can do, or if you haven't done them, the things that you've thought and the things that you've wished upon people you dislike. Uh oh. Jesus said if you have murder in your heart, you're guilty. You don't lack a murderous impulse, you lack opportunity, you lack courage, you fear merely the consequences. You don't love what's good, you fear the consequence that will come. That's why the law exists. If tomorrow the United States said, everybody gets a free day, everybody do as they please, there will be no consequences, just a Darwinian day for all. Would you leave leave your house? No. No. You'd lock yourself up tight. You would do all that you could to make yourself safe because you know the evil that is in the human heart, including your own, but nobody likes to think about it. So Jesus is saying two things at once. I will return, stay ready, because when I come, I will find some who should have served and should have loved and should have obeyed, I will find them instead eating, drinking, getting drunk, mistreating their fellow servants. And here's what's going to happen, verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. What is God telling you here? What is Jesus telling you about God? He's a good judge and he will be proportionate in his punishment. We don't shoot jaywalkers after all. A good judge does what is right. Some time ago there was a terrible crime committed by a Stanford student who terribly abused a young woman He was given a very light sentence, and the entire nation was outraged and wanted the judge removed. Remember that? Why did we have that common reaction? Because everybody on earth who has a normal working conscience knows that justice must be proportionate. And Jesus is telling you here that his return will precipitate judgment against all the evil that God sees, and God himself will do what is right those who sin in ignorance will still be judged. Those who knew full well and sinned with eyes wide open, for them the judgment will be more severe. But everyone is under the watchful eye of the judge who delays his coming only because he does not want to exercise that judgment. He would rather people turn in repentance. Make sense? I spoke to someone who loves the Bible, has read this passage many times, and told them I've got kind of a tough assignment this week. These words from Jesus make me anxious. And they said, I've read that many times. I've never noticed, probably because it made me anxious or I didn't understand it. That's why we're going right through the book. Because you need to know this also is part of God's character. The same Jesus that promises his disciples, God will take care of you. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. His same goodness, that same good, loving character, is telling the world judgment will come. And people will not always be disappointed that justice is delayed or justice is denied. But I've discovered something about justice. I want it for others. For myself, I only want one thing mercy. And Jesus is promising that God will do the right thing. His judgment will be proportionate, it will be right. God both rewards and disciplines, He both rewards and judges. Listen to the apostles apply this teaching of Jesus and other parts of the Bible writing to Christians, and we'll be done. I want you to read a couple passages with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 will be on the screen. Read this with me. It says, and now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Have you ever noticed that verse before? Little children, clearly disciples, here's what we are to do. We are to remain in Jesus. We are to stay close to Jesus so that when He appears, we may have confidence. We may be like those servants who have their torch in their hand and are belted up, ready to open the door and say, thank God, literally, you're here, rather than shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Look how Paul explained it to the Roman Christians. He said, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off. Well, that slide's chopped up. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See the last sentence? Stay close to Jesus. Don't give the flesh, don't give the opportunity to waste your life an inch. You're fighting for your eternal significance. You're deciding what your life will account for. Be ready because if you'll return with me to Luke chapter 12, here's the last thought. And Jesus, like all great communicators, drives the point home at the end. Verse 48, the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. There's the proportionate justice of God. Listen, everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more." God is a good judge. He is a good manager. If he gives you much, what will he expect in return? Much. Christian, you've been given Christ. you among all the people of the earth have been given the knowledge of Jesus. You stand on the side of history after the cross, after the death, after the resurrection. You've been told and personally experienced the love of a God who made you and when you lost yourself in sin and ignored and defied God, came after you at the cost of Himself, at the cost of His own beloved Son, who saw you lost in sin and preferred literally His own death to your being lost in death and your being judged by His holiness. What have you been given, Christian? You've been given everything. You've been given the promise of eternal life. You've been given the privilege of prayer. You've been given a faithful copy of the historic Word of God that you can read in your own language at any time you want to hear the mind, the heart, the will, the purposes of God Himself. Whatever you've been given in this life, I'm telling you, we lose Because of our culture and because of comparisons, we lose our sense of place and privilege, but we are uniquely and amazingly blessed at this time in history like no other group of people ever have been. What will we do with it? We must stay ready. We must stay ready for action. We must make the light of the gospel shine. We must be ready so that when the Lord returns, He finds us faithful. Here's the weight and the promise and the reward and the warning of this big passage in Luke, which made me so anxious. The Lord both judges and rewards. You stay faithful. If you haven't given your life to Christ, honestly, what are you waiting for? There's not a bit of judgment in anything I've heard. If you've heard judgment coming from me, please let me apologize for communicating poorly. I stand in the service and in the presence of the same God who will deal with all of us. People don't like to come to church because they find it judgmental. If such churches exist, as God is my witness, we are not trying to be one of them. I answer to the same God as every one of you do. I am telling you, I feel the weight of this passage because I know how much I've been given. My grandfather was a wretched alcoholic and a fighter and an abuser, and God spectacularly saved him and changed our family's history so that three generations later, I was born into a loving Christian home given the most amazing parents anyone ever could be and was always and only told how good God was. I was given the privilege of an education I don't deserve. So many things that I could tell you time and again. I'm telling you, not in a judgmental, I've got this figured out. I'm telling you this as a fellow servant. Jesus actually is coming back with both judgment and reward in His hand. He's going to do what's right. You and I need to stay faithful. And if you haven't run to Jesus for mercy, please take this as my personal plea to do so this morning. It terrifies me before God that some of you may sit here and listen to me explain the Bible week after week, year after year, and think nothing of Jesus to turn from your sins and ask Him to save you. And my part is to tell you and to warn you to entice you, to incentivize you, to show you both judgment and reward so that you will see yourself as God does, needy and in need of a Savior so that you will turn and run for your salvation, not by your own effort, but by the grace of Jesus. And if you haven't done that this morning, as I pray in a moment, please turn to Him and be saved. And if you're already saved and you're wasting your money and you're wasting your time and you're serving others on the basis of convenience, and if I ever get around to it, please, brother, sister, stop wasting your life. His return is imminent. And if you don't believe his return is imminent, may I remind you of what is? Your own death. You may only have two weeks left. You may have a day left. I may never preach another sermon. Well, That's kind of creepy. No, it's true. Nobody knows. You don't know. You think that you do, but that's denial. You don't know. What are you to do with the precious time you have? Stay ready. Be faithful. Trust the Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you please now act in the lives of those who need you as Savior? Would you turn their hearts, please, Lord, to you? As I pray aloud, may they pray to you and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I am sorry. Please save me. Take my sins upon yourself and Pay them for me so that I may be saved and forgiven and clean. And for my fellow brothers and sisters, for those in the family, Lord, spur us on to greater faithfulness. For these who are young and have their whole lives ahead of them and can still make decisions with complete liberty of what their future and what their service and what their life will be, Help them love you more than they love themselves and agree with you about the best future you have for them. For those of us, Lord, who are in the middle of life or later in life, help us take the precious time and resources we have left and be belted up, ready for action, ready to serve so that when you return, we will not shrink in shame at your coming but meet you gladly. And be amazed at how greatly, how deeply you will reward us. This offering, Lord, that is only a part of it, but it's an important part. Receive it with our gratitude in Christ's name.